10 to 1, episode 143. Silo, volume 1, books. Ten to one, the podcast where we make top ten lists about everything. I'm Melissa Kozer. Good thing that's ingrained. Yeah, because we're still not used to this <laughs> new <I know>. music. <laughs> Good thing you were saying it too. Yeah, but next time I'll be saying it. It helped to have your little your little, little prompt. Cues. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, now! Here, here I go. Uh, yes. Yeah, so. Uh, silo, an acronym, stands for stuff I learned online. I probably, or maybe I'll say stuff I learned on Wikipedia, because you could still pronounce it the same way, but it would be S-I-L-O-W. And if I put it as an acronym in the title, then Wikipedia can't sue me. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so that's what I'll go with. S-I-L-O-W? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silo. So basically, these are going to be, um, it's a it's an idea I've had for a while. I have probably like, um, I don't know, maybe 100 Wikipedia articles bookmarked mm-hmm. from the last few years of every time I come across something, something weird on Wikipedia, I'll bookmark it. And uh, I'm just going to start taking collections, probably of 10 uh, Wikipedia articles around a common theme. And uh, since we did book year last year, I figured uh, what better way to cap off book year uh, in April, the following year. <laughs> that is a solid cap. <laughs> and with a, a first of the series, stuff I learned on Wikipedia around books. So, Melissa, are you ready? Yes, I don't really know anything about what I'm doing on this on this episode, so... I'm right here with you guys, listeners. Yeah, you're here to learn. You're here to marvel. Oh, marvel at the wisdom. Of Wikipedia. I I constantly do that. Don't worry. Of Wikipedia? This isn't my... Of Wikipedia. This isn't my wisdom and knowledge. This is just random tidbits. You know, I like tidbits. Yes. And uh, so here are 10 tidbits. Tidbit me. All right. (laughs) Number 10. Uh, or what, number one, we'll go, we'll count up. Okay, so I'm going to start with paracosm. Do you know the word paracosm? Mm, I'm guessing it has to it has to do with the cosmos. Yep, yep. But so if cosm is a, world or universe, but it's a uh, parallel reality. Okay. Sort of. Am I close? Uh, you are close. I think it's more para, like a paratrooper. Or paramedic, uh, which is different. It's a prefix meaning mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm, I can't wait. I'll have to look that up. But anyway, a paracosm is a detailed imaginary world. So Narnia, yeah? Middle Earth, Discworld cool. are all paracosms. Of course, you know, a lot of times people come up with their own geography and history and languages. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, some other famous paracosms did you know that the bronte family emily ann and charlotte um, and brother branwell uh created i think it was mostly the sisters created fantasy kingdoms 
Oh, as I didn't as know that. children, they had their own paracosms. Oh. Gondol, Angria, and Galdine huh. were the, the ones that they made up. And um, let's see. The oldest son of Samuel Taylor Coleridge, Hartley Coleridge, had a... a uh, Sounds like a Discworld <laughs> character. Yeah. Had a paracosm he called Ejuxria. And he okay. imagined that there was this... Uh, fountain or like underground river that was going to spring up out of the ground as a fountain and create a new continent and he apparently according to his brother he uh, he was still even as an adult making up stories huh. about ejuxria so maybe yeah. similar to to uh, tolkien uh and that he kept on kept on working on his for a long time and then uh, uh c.s lewis and his brother warren had their own paracosms when they were children uh, so uh, together they created one called Boxin, and uh, that was which a, is the plural of box, right? And that was a combination of their own that they had made up. So C.S. Lewis, uh, I guess Jack, came up with box. He came up with Animal Land. Oh. That was the one he had as a child, and then uh, Warren's was called India. And so, of course, uh, you can probably guess that uh, Animal Land. That he made up as a child was uh, Narnia. influential in yeah. Yeah, creating on creating Narnia. That's cool. Neither I was going to so. say, I bet most children at some point have a paracosm. Mm. That's true. That's true. That's a part of, uh, I guess, the psychologists that study this say this is most common for mm-hmm. commonly done in, in childhood. So, did you ever have a paracosm? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember long hours driving across America hmm. as my family was on furlough, uh, and we go visiting all the different churches, and just, I, I wouldn't, I, you know, you guys know I love reading books, but I just love to stare out the window, too, for like hours on end, mm-hmm. and just go create a paracosm and live oh, cool. in it, and yeah, <laughs> for the longest time I was going to write a book about it, I had, uh, and you guys might laugh about it, but I had it was kind of based on the uh, Ocarina of Time, where you've got oh. the six different medallions, and each has to do with a different element. And so I had these women warriors who were um, each represented a different element. Uh, and so there was fire and wind, wind instead of spirit, and uh, water, and all you know, all the rest. Uh-huh. Uh, and so they could manipulate the different elements when that was cool. So one could, uh, one lived in a volcano and one lived deep in the forests and one lived in the oceans. And so, uh, and I hadn't read any of the Greek gods or anything like that and, um, been influenced in, by any of that. So I like to think that maybe I, I had a little touch, a little spark of originality, uh, or at least I thought of it before I read it elsewhere, read that somebody else had already thought of it. Those were some of my paracosms. When I first got interested in writing, those were the stories I wanted to tell. And then I outgrew them. Yeah. I still got, I've still got a little excerpt floating around somewhere. I'll have hmm. to try and find it. Of when I did finally start writing, uh, trying to get the paracosm written. And it was about an excerpt about wind. Uh-huh. And uh, a guy gets trapped in a canyon and... He's being hunted by these savage creatures, and then all of a sudden, there's this gust of wind that picks him up and lifts him out and rescues him at the last instant. <laughs> it's very exciting. 
Nice. Yeah, you should see if you if you still have that uh, somewhere around. <laughs> we could uh, put it on our website. Sure. Early writings of the someday to be famous Melissa Kozer. There you go. Only be famous after I'm dead, of course. Why would that be? Because all the best people are famous after they're dead. Gotcha. Well, oh. you are, well, you are one of the best people, so maybe you're right. That's very kind of you. Oh, thanks. I love your kind lies. <laughs> um, yeah, para, I can't figure out. So there's para, the Latin prefix, prefix and that means to defend. So that's where you have like parachute, mm-hmm. parapet. Come alongside Parasol, though, right? but then there's also, I can't figure out where it's from, but um, yeah, like adjacent would be the other. Hebrew. Mm, I don't think so. Where where would that be in Hebrew? Or like what's a what's Parakletos, an example word? The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. Okay, that's Greek. So yeah, it's probably oh, Greek. Well, shoot. <laughs> um, yeah, I bet you're right though. Greek. So. Uh, well, I was halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so next to paratrooper, paramedic, mm-hmm. kind of. They're next to the medics. Alongside. Yeah, they're, they're help the medics. Yeah. Yeah. So, paracosm, uh, a, a next, an adjacent world, as it were. So, that's paracosm. That was number, I'm, I'm counting that up, was I just said, number right? 10. Number one. Number one. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. one of those. All right. Now, tell me if you think this one is better or if you liked. You can kind of keep track and tell me what your favorite was at the end. Uh, so, number two is incunable, also sometimes Incunablum. Incunabulum. Ooh, there that go. sounds... Incunabulum. Uh, that sounds mystic. Yeah, pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the incunabulum... Like having to do with runes or something or... Yeah. Uh, I don't know, gins maybe? So this is the the uh, term that we use nowadays uh, for works that were printed in the 15th century. So the... Uh, let's see, what year was the was the printing press. I guess I don't have that off the top of my head. Gutenberg printing press year. Well, DuckDuckGo, you're failing me. It was, it was, okay, around 1436. All right, so we're talking about the first 160 years of the printing press uh, until 1600. Uh, these are uh, those really early, um, either either they cut out the entire page from a block of wood or uh, they used the movable type um, and uh, they made these incunabulum, incunabula, I guess is the, is the plural, also sometimes called 15ers because they're in the, the 1500s for the most part or in the in the uh, 15th century, I suppose, in the 1400s. Um, and so, um, so first 160 years, you'd think there would be a lot, right? I think there'd be a ton of these left. Uh, Gutenberg Bible, of course, mm-hmm. they, they started printing some newspapers. There are very few. So there were, there were, uh, 20,000. So what is an incunabulum again? Uh, just anything, a, a book, a pamphlet, a newspaper that was printed before 1600. Okay. So the first 160 years, okay, about 20,000 things were printed and uh, 20,000 works existing today. 
Um, very few. Uh, let's see. Less than 20? Uh, no. I mean, we have, let's see, we have about 50 Gutenberg Bibles that exist. Um, the most uh, common uh, incunabula is the Nuremberg Chronicle, a newspaper. And okay. uh, we have uh, 1,200 of those that okay. still exist. Um, but you, on average, there's only 18 copies of any of these. Um, and so, you know, uh, very rare. There's, there's museums that have, uh, uh, large, somewhat large collections mm. and they'll have, you know, three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of a certain one that maybe yeah. uh, like a thousand total, uh, across their different, the different works. But, uh, yeah, I think this is, it's really an interesting period and you can, you can see, uh, there's a table on here of, um, the different cities that got a printing press and started, started printing things mm -hmm. out. And so, uh, yeah, you can see like a map, how it's all, uh, all starting to come out from Germany and spread into France and Spain. And I think it looks like there's one or two in, in the United Kingdom. And so, uh, yeah, that's the, the incunabula. Those very early printed works, uh, of course, um, of course, you have the very ornate ornamentation right, on right. some of them, and um, uh, on some of the ones where they were carving it out. Is that's just crazy that mm -hmm. you would have to carve out an entire page, mm -hmm. and that would still save work because I guess you were doing it one time, yeah, and doing and uh, printing multiple times with it. So uh, pretty crazy how quickly that took off. So that was my number two. Uh, so real quick. Paracosm or incunable or incunabulum? Uh, probably paracosm. Um, okay. Just because I like fantasy worlds a lot. But, mm -hmm. I mean, they're both really interesting. Okay. Okay, well, what do you think about this one? Number three, insipid. Uh, you might have heard me use this term before. Uh, this is the first few lines, or the first few words, sorry, of mm -hmm. a text. Uh, and that's the the title then used as the title of the work and this is because books did not used to have titles mm -hmm. uh, they were uh, referred to by their first few words and so <laughs> and that's why you want to do that web page at some point of yeah. the first sentence yes yes and so, so the bible used to be called in the beginning and well i think genesis still is called what? Uh, in the beginning. Um, yes, that is that is one of the great examples. Many of the, the books in the Hebrew Bible. I'm brilliant sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Unknowingly. Yep. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, some of the Psalms are known by their, their insipids. Mm -hmm. uh, like Psalm 51, which starts... Have mercy upon me, O oh God. E yes. So what's the... Yes. And so that is the... That's what some as. Have mercy upon me, O oh God. Um, Boom. Very good. Very, very good. Uh, there's some... Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, the book of Revelation. So that's an example in Greek. Because... Uh, uh, well, it's known as the Apocalypse. Also, because uh, that's how uh, it starts. The Revelation... Of, I think it says the revelation of Jesus Christ to St. John or something like that. Or that's the, I guess that's maybe a heading 
often. Yeah. Ah, now I've got to go look up what is the Revelation of Saint John. Well, that's that's the Saint heading. Saint John the time. Divine. No, it's not the but, divine. But what's it actually say in the in chapter one, verse one? How oh. does it start? Oh wow! Let me go look that up. You look it up. I'll yeah. look it up. I bet I can get there first. Well, this web page is not. Yes. Bible app for the win. The revelation of Jesus Christ, uh-huh. which God gave unto him. Yeah, so revelation uh, or apocalypse, apparently. Does apocalypse in Greek mean the end of all things? What does that mean? Uh, well, uh, it's apocalypse with A at the beginning, so the opposite of apocalypse. You see, oh, and apocalypse. Sorry, I didn't take Greek in college. Well, it's very difficult, so not many people do. Apocalypse. Just I don't to, believe you did either. Just need to look up apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to see if I could. Uh, um, I'm sure this is very interesting. <laughs> I'm just gonna pull up my Strong's Concordance. Since uh, Bible Gateway failed me, yeah. So Revelation is uh, apoc- apocalypsis is the Greek where we get apocalypse, uh, disclosure, uh, laying bare, a manifestation. So, so I guess the later yeah, meaning of apocalypse must come must from, come from everything from that happens. Book. Yeah, in Revelation, yeah. the dis- total destruction. Or de- not destruction, but devastation uh-huh, uh-huh. of the world. Yep. Well, that's uh, interesting yeah. how the wor- word has evolved. Yeah. It's original. That is great. So, and, you know, those are just some examples of the Bible. There's uh, from some Hindu texts, uh, medieval works. Uh, there's some modern ones like um, Shakespeare's sonnets or, or Emily Dickinson's poems are sometimes referred to uh, by their first few words. And so, uh, oh, even in music, sometimes it looks like, yeah, so for music, sometimes it looks like they'll print uh, the first few bars of a piece so that, I mean, you can't always look at the title of a piece because <laughs> a lot of times, unless you're a really famous work, you're not going to get a memorable name. It'll just be like, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, what what's OP stand for? Opus. Yeah, opus number mm-hmm. three. And so they'll print the titles with a first couple bars so that you can see the how it starts. And, oh, okay, I remember that one. So, yeah, that is Insipit. And, yeah, sometime I'll get that web page together with uh, the best, the best uh, opening lines from literature. That's I've got the I've got the lines. Just need to put the website together. Should be the easy part. Which, if you guys think, uh, if you come across a really great opening line, oh yeah, in a book, send it our way. Uh-huh. We'd love to. We'd love to see it. Yes, it might make it onto that web page. It might. It just it might. might inspire us to go read that book. Hey, by the way, be. that's. That's such a big battle uh, for writing a book. Like, if you can get a really good first line to grab the reader's interest, uh, I lost what I was going to say with that. Um, <laughs> then the person will read yeah. the, is a lot more likely to keep reading the book. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you start off, you got to grab them from page one. Don't wait till page two or further. Anyway, I digress. 
This is your show. Uh, okay, so similar, similarly, we've got number four, an epigraph. I have heard of that. Familiar with epigraph? Yes. That's where you have uh, a a quote or a phrase or a poem at the beginning of a work. So this is something that you, we saw in Dune last year when mm-hmm. we read it, where uh, Frank Herbert had fictional quotations that he made up uh, at the beginning of of his, or you'll see, um, uh, you'll see quotes from other literature, often like the uh, the quote mm. from the Inferno. Uh, uh, oh man, now I'm blanking. Uh, all ye who enter here, oh man, uh, <laughs> I I feel bad. I love it when a book has an epigraph, or a bunch of them, especially. It just whets the appetite. You know, another book that had epigraphs was uh, Susanna Clarke's newest novel. Uh, Abandon hope. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. That's what it is. Man. Yes. Yes. Uh, Piranesi. Yes. Well, uh, well, weren't her chapter titles insipids, actually? Were they? I think it was the first line of the no. of the chapter was no, what weren't. she used. I think it was. No, you're wrong. Okay, well, we'll check later. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Stephen King uses these a lot, um, and uh, yeah, even in even in movies, sometimes you'll see them pop up a quote at mm-hmm. the beginning of the movie uh, to kind of set the uh, set the stage. So that's an epigraph. I always I always like those. Uh, uh, here's the the top example on Wikipedia is a good one, uh, and it's from a Tom Clancy book. It's a Winston Churchill quote. Why, you may take the most gallant sailor, the most intrepid airman, or the most audacious soldier. Put them at a table together. What do you get? The sum of their fears. And so it's the sum of all fears is hmm. the, uh, the Tom Clancy book. We should book. do top ten epigraphs sometime. Maybe so. Uh, so that is number four epigraph. Uh, so let's go now to um, a few... Uh, uh, genres. Uh, that might not be quite the correct word, um, but you'll see what I mean. Uh, this first one is Clementine literature. Are you familiar with Clementine literature? No. Or would you like to give a a guess for what Clementine literature is? Also, Clementina. Is it cozy? Uh, it's not a cozy mystery. <laughs> <laughs> the self-published Amazon. Yes. Uh, Miss Marple ripoff. Is it for women? Uh, no. It no. Ha- and has nothing to do with oranges. Well, I did figure that part. Uh, so this is um, uh, a, a series uh, of writings made by someone named Clement, uh, possibly Pope Clement I, or possibly uh, Emperor Domitian's cousin. Uh, Titus Flavius Clemens, um, and these are accounts uh, where this Clement supposedly traveled with Peter, and was uh, was his John Mark or his uh, his Silas or Barnabas, as it were. Um, so uh, there's there's multiple versions of this, and um, I don't know. I I've not read it, but there's just different things about. Uh, um, you know, just different stories 
about him going around with Peter. And uh, I just thought that that was, that was pretty interesting that there's this, uh, uh, there's Clementine these stories. Narratives. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. These early stories of, of a guy traveling around with Peter. Um, I don't know what the status of like how, how confident scholars are of, you know, when it was written or, or who wrote it. Um, I haven't, I haven't really gotten into, uh, uh, that, but I thought that was interesting and uh, it's got a, a cool name, Clementine literature. So now, you know, I guess, <laughs> I guess it's cool. It is cool. Uh, so that, that would be an interesting one to look into more. What do you guys call yourselves? The Clementine club. Uh, so my next one that oh. I've got number six, we've got the Sherlockian game. Much better, thank you. Also known as the Holmesian game, nobody calls it that, or the Great Game, or simply the Game. Have you heard of the Sherlockian game? I've heard of the Great Game. Okay. Mostly from reading Wheel of Time. Okay. Means politics. I think this is slightly different. Uh, so this is where uh, uh, it's scholarly attempts to treat. Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories as actual accounts. And so then uh, because, you know, this is pre-internet, pre, uh, I mean, even his, his stories were being published in magazines. Uh, so he's not always uh, getting all of his details consistent. Uh, mm -hmm. So famously, um, uh, Dr. Watson, sometimes he had a, bullet wound in his shoulder and sometimes his bullet wound that he got in Afghanistan was in his leg. Uh, there's, uh, times I think, uh, uh, Watson has multiple wives possibly uh, during <laughs> it because he calls her different names, I think. And there's, there's some other things like, uh, talking about him going on his honeymoon. And so, you know, they'll try and suss out. Okay. So, you know, she must've, the first one must've died and he got remarried that kind of thing. That's and, kind uh, of fun. I think one of his wives calls him James. And so there was a, a debate about uh, why Why did she call him James? Because John is too because ordinary. Because John is never, a person named John is not ever called James. And so uh, the, uh, would you like to hear the theory that uh, yes. um, uh, Dorothy L. Sayers, a famous practitioner, a famous uh, scholar, in the great game. Uh, so what she came up with was, uh, so his name was John H. Watson, and we never found out what the H stood for. And she wrote an essay where she theorized that the H is short for Hamish, which is the Scottish form of James. And so that would be why his wife could have called him James and explains what the H stands for. Well, that's fine. <laughs> so... People have had a lot of fun over the years um, playing. It's not something I'd ever these do, stories. but it's fun to read about other people doing it. For sure, for sure. And so, um, you know, there's there's famously a, a biography of Sherlock Holmes where someone tried to take these and, okay, I've got all the facts straight and I'm going to put them in chronological order and what all do we know about Sherlock Holmes? And uh, people will write their, um, uh, I guess you could... You could call them fan fiction almost, 
where they come up with their own stories and usually pretend that I found this manuscript in my attic. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a lost manuscript from Dr. Watson. <laughs> and so uh, those are pretty fun. I, I've i enjoyed the, the few of those that I've read. And uh, I've never never taken part in the game. But... <laughs> Seems like seems like a fun hobby. That does seem like something you might do. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's number six. Um, that might be my favorite so far. The great game. Uh, but now the, this next one might be my favorite that I'll talk about tonight, and it's constrained writing. Uh, so it's where the writer has some sort of condition, uh, because obviously you can anyone can sit down at a typewriter, pen and paper, computer, type whatever they want, any words that they can think of. That's easy. But what if you make up rules for yourself to constrain your writing? That's really interesting. Right. So, yeah. so obviously poetry is going to be um, yeah. the most common form of this, where you're writing in rhyme, you're writing to a certain meter, you're writing this number of, of lines... Uh, you know, a haiku is going to be a certain number of right. syllables. Um, and so, uh, but there's all sorts of different I forms know, of this. And I'm just imagining all the all the different ways I yeah. can go and feeling inspired. Yeah. This sounds fun. Okay. So here's some good ones that I really like. Uh, this is uh, a cool one. Lipograms. This is leaving out a letter. And so um, you... Uh, make yourself not use E or not use A, uh, not use T for a story or for a poem. Um, so one of the famous ones of this is, let's see, I actually don't know if this is on the Wikipedia article. I don't see it. Um, the famous one, nope, it's not on, it's not an example on the Wikipedia page. So I'm going off, off memory. Uh, the famous one for me is someone went and did a bunch of versions of Mary Had a Little Lamb, but they left out uh, different letters. So, for example, uh, they did one f leaving out the letter S. And so how do you say uh, its fleece was white as snow without an S? And so what they came up with was something like um, Mary had a little lamb with fleece a pale white hue. Ah. And then the rest is something like, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb would follow, would follow too. Something like that, yeah. And so, yeah, so you, you come up with a rule. Uh, for lipograms, it's, oh, it's leave I out really a letter. Like this. We should do this for each other. <laughs> come up with a rule, and then yeah. we've got to write, write. Yep. Uh, I like that. The, the most impressive one has got to be the novel Gadsby, not the great Gadsby. Yeah. Uh, this G -A -D. is. GAD. SBY. Yes, this is Gadsby by Ernest Vincent Wright, 50,000 word novel without the letter E. But that's the most common vowel. Yep. And one of the most common letters to peer into boot. Yep. Yep. He did. So he did make a few mistakes in that 50,000 words. Uh, he accidentally used the three times. Okay, well. And the word officers once, but that was just the first edition, fixed in for future editions. Ah, yeah. So, I mean, just not using the word the. Oh, I know. In a whole book. Ah. <laughs> uh, he, that would be. Ah. Yeah. 
That'd be cool, but very, very difficult. Isn't that crazy? I want to go read that now. I'll, he I'll even on, on Goodreads. Yeah, he even left out abbreviations of words that would be expanded no to include cheat. E. No cheating. Huh? Yeah, so no Mister Mr. period because Mister has an E spelled out. Um, he he t- turned some uh, famous uh, so like he quoted some poems, but had to rewrite them to not have ease. So for example. Music has charms to soothe a savage breast. Instead, uh, he wrote that music hath charms to calm a wild bosom. <laughs> <laughs> or a thing of beauty is a joy forever. He turned into a charming thing is a joy always. It's a little less poetic, but yeah, oh for sure. It's fun, to, but isn't to that try. crazy that yeah. <laughs> a fifty thousand word novel uh. without the letter E? So that one's amazing. Uh, so that's lipograms. I really like that one. I also like uh, pilish, which is where, uh, so you've got the number pi, uh, so 3.14159, right. keeps going forever. How many digits did you ever have memorized? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. I know in college you had in a... In college I probably had... A bit of a competition with, with Scott. Yeah, not much of a competition. <laughs> Scott... Definitely had more. I don't know, twenty maybe at the most. Nerd. Um, yep. <laughs> so uh, this one, Pilish. This is where uh, the first word. So if, say you're writing a poem in Pilish. First word, three letters long. Second word, one, one. letter long. Mm-hmm. Four letters, one uh, letter, etc. And there's there's other rules you can make too. up with. Uh, not necessarily. Okay. Um, there's. I mean, uh, Pilish just says you have to do it with those lengths. Okay. So it wouldn't even have to be a poem. Um, but yeah, some people have written poems. So here's here's an example of one. But a time I spent wandering in bloomy night, yon tower tinkling chime-wise loftily opportune, out, up, and together came sudden to Sunday right, the one solemnly off to correct plenaloon. I like that. I know. I wanna, know. Wanna send that to me? Yeah. Yeah. Read it again and mull it over. <laughs> uh, someone did a, a whole novel in Pilish. 10,000 digits of pie. <laughs> they did. Um, and they even, so there's even rules for things like, uh, you know, if there's the digit zero, then use a word that's 10 digits long, or uh, uh, 10 letters long, sorry. Or if there's, you know, a bunch of ones and twos together, then um, you, you can combine those into a longer word, things like that to make it actually yeah. possible for some of those sequences. So yeah, so that's pilish. Wow. Let me just pull out a Sounds couple more. Sounds a little more. bit too complicated though. I know, I know. Uh, too let- much math. <laughs> uh, reverse lipograms. Each word must contain a particular letter. Ah. Uh, let's Each see. word. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I could do maybe a short poem like that, but. Right, right. Uh, alliteration, of course. Uh, where you've got to start with the same letters, acrostics, where the first letter is going to form mm-hmm. a word or a sentence. Um, abecedarius, uh, the first letter goes through the alphabet. A, a B, C, D. Then, yep, yep. yep. Uh, palindromes, of course, is a famous one. Uh, Anglish, I like this one, A-N-G, Anglish, favoring Anglo-Saxon words over Greek and Roman or Latin yeah. words. Yeah, I could go for that. Yes, you've got the... The, the more, older, uh, yeah, the yeah, older feeling. still very common 
in our language, but mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot of uh, like shorter, like cow instead of beef is the, the easy animal example. It's the, uh, the workman-like words are going to be Anglo-Saxon a lot of times. Uh, anagrams. Oh, uh, let's see. Um, erasure is a really cool one. So you erase words from an existing text and the rest of it forms your work. Let's see if I can just find randomly an example or... for that one. Uh, I mean, you could certainly do it randomly, uh, but I think a lot of times um, uh, there's some sort of... Set rules. Right, right. Um, let's see. Oh, I don't see... I don't see a good example, um, but it looks like people have done poetry, and it's it's probably not uh, um, a real structured poetry. It's going to be a little bit more loose. Um, but yeah, erasure. That one is interesting. Um, and then there's some that are a specific length. So I already mentioned haiku. There's a mini saga, exactly 50 words. Plus, Ooh, I could do that. Plus 15 words for the title. I can do that. Uh huh. A drabble. That's 100 words. I don't know where that one, where these got their names. <laughs> oh, man, that that sounds so much less epic than a mini saga. A I, know. Dra- well, I wrote out a drabble. What about Twiction, which is Twitter, Twitter and, and fiction? 140 characters, exactly. No, I've done no that more, a lot no of less. Times. 140, exactly. Yep, yep. Including spaces. I've done that a lot on uh, uh, Amazon says, do you want to write a note for, uh, yeah. uh, you know, sending yeah. this wedding gift or whatever? Oh, man, that'll help you refine your craft, your writing uh-huh. so well. Yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, so you've even been doing some constrained writing. Uh. <laughs> I do feel very <laughs> constrained on some of those. I even did it on Goodreads. Um for a while there, I was writing out cool phrases that I found mm-hmm. in uh, Moby Dick. And then there was one long paragraph that I thought, I've got to include the whole thing because it's so amazing. And I got to a point where uh, Goodreads wouldn't let me add anymore. And so I had to figure out how to trim it down, which I think is actually a good thing. I think constrained reading in that regard, word limits, I hated uh-huh. them in college. Yeah. They're actually a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely interesting. You, it's almost um, counterintuitive, but having these restrictions can really better. force you to be more creative mm-hmm. and and increase creativity when you have a limited palette. Uh, I mean, look at some of those um, some of those poems, like uh, uh, definitely like Dante or Milton, and and we're writing with a specific form and. Uh, you know, hugely, hugely ge- works of genius. So a uh, couple more examples. Uh, there's one, there's a book called Ella Minnow P. I think that's the character's name of the book, Ella Minnow P. And uh, it's like the, uh, I'm trying to remember, the girl lives in a town where uh, they have like the, the, um, uh, the motto of the town, I think, uh, up in letters on, on the top of their, their, a building in their town square or something like that or a monument that has the letters and through the book they start uh falling off a, uh this monument and so then the author then doesn't use those letters ah. as they fall off kind ah. of a thing yeah so that's kind of cool um and then one more example 
We just talked about Dr. Seuss recently. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you know that Green Eggs and Ham uses only 50 different words? No, I didn't know that. And uh, that was a, a $50 bet that he had with a publisher that, nice. that he couldn't write a, a, a fun children's book in only 50 words. Well, that's cool. <laughs> 50 different Good words. Him. 50 different words. Yep, yep. So I, I really like... Uh, these different constrained writing ones you yeah. can definitely go through i mean the wikipedia article has a bunch that i didn't even mention and you can just click through and really i'm gonna have to check that out yep yep so all of these all of these are going to be linked to uh or at least the top level article and you can click through go down the rabbit your hole heart's content that's right just like i did okay uh we've got three more so we've got eight nine and ten uh let's look at the great american songbook are you familiar with the great american songbook i don't think so okay so this isn't a literal book or even a a specific list of songs but it's sort of the canon of um early american songs of um uh, pop songs at the time jazz um uh, this is going to be like uh, uh irving berlin and George Gershwin, and um, uh, Richard Rogers. Uh, so, like, for example, um, let's see, what are some, uh, As Time Goes By is an example. Um, I, I'd have to listen to it, but maybe that would have made my top ten love songs. Chattanooga Choo Choo, The Christmas Song, uh, Edel, Edelweiss. Uh, but that's a German song. Well, you know, it was just written for the sound of music. <laughs> no, I didn't know not that. A, not a real song. Not what? really the Austrian. What? Uh... I cry foul. <laughs> I've been lied to I know. by I an know. icon from my childhood. I know. It was created for the play, Broadway play, The Sound of Music. I not believe anything I, I know i was an adult i'm i'm fairly sure i was an adult when i found out that was not the national anthem of austria i didn't so. think it was the national anthem but i thought it was at least a a folk song or something from that right? country well that that's right here in wikipedia a lot of people think it's an austrian folk song or even the national anthem but uh <sighs> not so uh some people think uh, another one of his Old Man River from another one of his musicals, Showboat. Yep. They think that was a, a, a African American spiritual. Yeah. And it's not, huh? Not so. Just he wrote it for a uh, wrote it for a play. But the guy sounds so good <laughs> singing it, <laughs> I and know. it's so perfect for his part. And I I know, I know. Uh, Georgia on my mind. It's another famous one. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Hello, Dolly. Uh, so you can kind of see these really American, uh, you know, pre kind of pre pop music, I guess. I don't even know what exactly um, how exactly you define it in this. Like Wikipedia says it was popular music. It was it was from plays. It was from mm -hmm. movies, um, but it's still I don't know. Somehow feels different, a lot different, like a completely Very different. Very different feels from even pop, yeah, yeah, even different from like the the um, and some of these did come from later, but um, uh, even feels different from like fifties 
60s, 70s music and on. You know, I have heard of the Great American Song yeah. Songbook. Um, because whenever I go to music stores to look for new piano books, uh-huh. they have those. Okay. The Great American Songbook. And it's a list of all these different titles that you've been mentioning. Right, right. And I yeah. just finally made that connection. Yeah. So it's not an official an official list of songs. Um nobody is is the uh the authority to say what is and what isn't. Uh, but it's you can definitely they definitely feel like they all kind of Yeah. kind of belong together. So I'm trying to see if there's any other Well, they're from like a certain era. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so that's that's their connection. New York, New York. I guess that's Leonard Bernstein. Um, on the Good Ship Lollipop. I've heard that one. Over the Rainbow. Putting on the Ritz. Another <laughs> Irving Berlin. Santa Claus is coming to uh, town. That is not an Irving Berlin. That is a it Hugh is. Laurie. Well, singing it. I do like Hugh Laurie singing it. Singing in the Rain. Sound of Music, of course. So, yeah. So that's the. The Great American Songbook. Um, yeah, I don't don't really have a whole lot of of uh, facts about this one. I just think that's a kind of a cool, a cool. Uh, I don't know. Even just giving something a name and binding them together through a name uh, for some reason, I find that interesting. So that's my number eight, the Great American Songbook. Let's go to number nine. Getting close. Number nine is Lost Literary Works. Ooh. <laughs> so it's... We don't have any extant copies. We have copies. no copies. Nice. Okay. So, of course, famously, there were uh, untold works in the Library, Library of Alexandria, Alexandria yeah. before it burned to the ground. Um, sometimes there's, there's things that we think are lost and then we rediscover them. Um, so, Dead for example... Uh, yeah, Dead Sea Scrolls, although I think all of those, we had other copies. Okay. Just maybe not so early. Um, so I don't know if that would count, um, as a lost work. Uh, but, uh, did you know that, um, Caesar Augustus saved Virgil's Aeneid? Really? From, from being destroyed. Oh, wow. Yep. I bet that was the find <laughs> of a lifetime. Uh-huh. Yep, or uh, let's see, uh, uh, Franz Kafka wrote uh, The Metamorphosis and some other books. Uh, his books were saved by um, a, let's see, yep, a friend, uh, Max Brode, and uh, he he saved his books from being destroyed. Now those are considered classics. Cool. Um, so yeah, so let's look and see if there's any, any uh, interesting uh, lost works that we can pull out uh so let's see have you ever heard of anaxagoras yes greek uh philosopher he wrote a book of philosophy we only have fragments of the first part of it um we have there's a couple uh books I, by archimedes I thought his name was anaxagoras or something like that like pythagoras yeah yeah that's probably how you say it uh archimedes uh okay. he had one on sphere making one on polyhedra that we uh, sadly do not have anymore. Uh, let's see, what else? Aristotle, he had a second book of poetics. 
that we no longer have. We probably haven't achieved light speed yet because we've lost those books on mathematics from Archimedes. Maybe so. Uh, we have a bunch of works from Julius Caesar ah! that were lost. Oh, man. <laughs> There's a lot of things I would do for some works by Julius Caesar. I know. But we do have a little, we do have a few things. Uh, we have, uh, oh, um, I don't remember the name of the, of, of the work, but it's his, uh, his journal of when they went into Gaul and conquered uh, conquered Gaul before he became Caesar. Uh, I'd like he was to general. read that. Yeah, yeah, I, I would like to read that one sometime. Uh, so we do have that. I wonder uh, if there's a works of Julius Caesar or something like that on Goodreads. Hey, if any of you guys know of a good book, Writings of Julius Caesar, let me know. Well, let me go look it up because uh, I know for a fact somebody made a version and put it on standard ebooks. Uh, really like standard ebooks. They are a uh, an organization that goes just on uh, volunteer work, and they put together really nicely formatted versions of books in the public domain. So, for example, you can go read Commentaries on the Gallic War by Julius Caesar, and uh, uh, that is is a work that somebody volunteered to go put together. Yes, Commentaries on the Gallic War. So you can actually read... Uh, what Caesar thought. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, uh, definitely Dan Carlin references it in his uh, his Fall of the Roman Republic series. It, he makes it sound sound like uh, Caesar was a pretty good writer as well as, uh, I mean, I guess he was a genius. Everything he did turned out pretty well for him. Um, so let's see, we've got some works by Cato the Elder that are missing. Cicero wrote some tragedies uh, that we don't have. Uh, Eratosthenes, um, Euclid. So I guess it looks like a lot of the uh, Livy, a lot of the early Greeks and Romans. Uh, that makes sense since that was just so long ago. Um, uh, Homer. Uh, so, you know, we have the Odyssey and the Iliad. Supposedly, it seems like those were two poems out of ten that Homer wrote. So there's eight oh, missing. Oh, man. And we love <laughs> those, too. I know. Those are two, like the two of the most, most famous. influential yeah. on Western, uh, Western civilization. I know. Where would we be as a society if we had all of those? In I don't know. In a parallel reality. They are so, so much further advanced. And, yeah. Who know. knows? Who knows what? Who knows? Have, uh, or maybe out. that would have been that would have those other eight would have destroyed the world. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. Uh, let's see. Uh, lost plays of Aeschylus. We have six of his plays. He, we think he wrote ninety. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, and I'm. I mean, that's. Uh, we think we have a third of Aristotle's works. I bet there's some of this, like uh, some of this for music too, like for oh, Beethoven yeah. and Mozart and stuff gotta be especially when um yeah or i know for paintings oh they've yeah. discovered people will, would uh reuse canvases mm -hmm. you paint something yep. and uh, the uh patron decide not to pay for it yep. well i'm just gonna paint right over i'm not gonna waste this canvas um so yeah i i bet it is for music as well uh let's see um there's ancient chinese texts indian texts egyptian texts the book of thoth uh, it's supposed to contain the secrets to uh, 
understand the power of the gods and the speech of animals. I was going to say, isn't that on The Mummy or on National Treasure or something? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. Probably. I think on The on the Mummy. Probably. So uh, let's see. There's the Hexapla. Uh, it was a compilation of the Old Testament by Origen. I bet Ooh. that was pretty interesting reading. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, tons of books mentioned in the Bible. The Book of Jasher. Oh, I know. Every time... And there's another one, a book of... Book of Samuel the Seer. Isha or something. Book of Ido the Seer. Ido, uh, that's uh, what Gad it is. the Seer, Visions yep. of Ido the Seer. Book of Jehu, I bet was a pretty oh, good yeah. reading. <laughs> uh, laments for Josiah. So... Um, Where's Laments for, for Josiah mentioned? Let's see. Uh, this is a term from Second Chronicles 35, 25. Huh. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah... And all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day, and made them an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they are written in the lamentations. Oh. But we do not have that anymore. Yeah, wow. he's not talking about the book of lamentations. Separate oh, man. other lamentations. Yeah, I so, want to read all so these extra all of biblical these. resources. Yep. All sorts of epistles. Uh, the epistle to Corinth. Epistle from Laodicea to the Colossians. Mm. Uh, the gospel of Matthias. Gospel of the Twelve, Gospel of the Seventy, the Secret Gospel of Mark. So, so many, uh, so many religious works. Uh, let's see if there's maybe I can pull out one or two more interesting ones uh, that we don't have anymore. Um, okay, the Venerable Beedy. Have you heard of him? A uh, thought it was Bede. Well, could be. It is Bede, or Beda, perhaps. If I'm reading this uh, this uh, pronunciation guide correctly, uh, so he did a translation of John's Gospel into, I guess, Old English. I think Old English, and uh, we don't have that anymore. Let's see the Coventry Mystery Plays, uh, medieval mystery plays, uh, perhaps best known as the source of the Coventry Carol. Do you oh. know the Coventry Carol? Uh -huh. And right now I'm blanking on the title. Uh, Loli Lola, yeah. thou little tiny child. Da, 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 uh, that was from this. We still have, I guess, two plays, but apparently it was a whole collection, a whole cycle of medieval mystery plays, all of which are lost except for those two. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Yongle Encyclopedia. A. That's a great name. <laughs> Uh, the world's uh, one of the world's earliest, and at the time the largest encyclopedia, commissioned by Emperor of China's Ming Dynasty, Yongle. I'm sure. Oh wait, the Yongle Emperor. I guess his name was Zhu Di. That's interesting. I don't. I mean, it's probably not. Zhu Di Yongle. Yeah, it's probably Yongle or something like that. But For uh, short. Yongle, the Yongle Emperor. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a Francois Villon poem, The Romance of the Devil's Fart. For some <laughs> reason, that one didn't survive. I'm not really sure why. Um, there are <laughs> there are Shakespeare plays that oh, we've yeah. lost. Like he wrote Love's one. Labor's One, right? Yep, yeah. yep. Good memory. Well, I know that because of Doctor Who. Aha. Very nice. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, we think Hamlet, 
was based on an earlier play, perhaps by Thomas Kidd, but that's been lost. Uh, There's a play by Thomas Nash and Ben Johnson called The Isle of Dogs. That's apparently lost. Isn't that a uh, Wes Anderson movie, Isle of Dogs? Is it? Yeah, I'm guessing... you're thinking Reservoir Dogs. No, that's... uh... Because they both have dog in the title. No, that's not uh, Wes Anderson. That's... Oh, boy. I could picture his face. Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Yeah, I think Isle of Dogs. I'm guessing it's not at all related, just except by the name, Uh, which... That's a pretty good name. Uh, John Milton wrote two acts of a tragedy called Adam Unparadized, which was lost. (laughs) Um, Why are you giggling at that title? Have you heard of uh, uh, Edward Gibbon? He wrote uh, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge work. I think a lot of things we, uh, you know, out of date at this point, but, but hugely influential. He burned his manuscript of... Uh, the history of the liberty of the Swiss that he wrote. Oh, I know. Um, let's see. Uh, Mozart's cello concerto. Do we know in... why he burned it? I maybe if you click Is he through. Mad at the Swiss? Maybe, maybe you click through. Um, uh, we have lost a lot of Bach pieces, at least two large-scale passions, and a bunch of cantatas are lost. <sighs> Uh, so here, here are the ones you were talking about. Mozart's cello concerto in F and trumpet concerto are lost. Beethoven's uh, 1793 Ode to Joy is lost, but that was later incorporated into his Ninth Symphony. So I guess we probably have have a good deal of that one at least. Um, oh, I did know about this one from the, the biography of George Washington that I, I read last year. All the letters that George Washington wrote to Martha... She burned. She burned all of them because they were personal, and so so much, so much wonderful. Uh, I'm sure information Aww. that we could have had. Uh, there are three left. All the others, wow. she destroyed. Wow. Yep. Yep. Oh man, that would be such an insight into such a grave man. Mm-hmm. Seeing the the slight slightly softer side to him. All right, here's a here's a few more, uh, and then we'll we'll move on and we'll we'll finish this up. I promised you a thirty minute episode, and it's not a thirty minute <laughs> episode. So, um. well, this part is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do like this one. Uh, let's see, the memoirs of Lord Byron ah. were destroyed by his literary executors. What a jerk! Uh, Thomas More tried to get them to not not to do it. Um, but they decided that it would protect his reputation if they burnt it. So the the publisher tore the book apart, burned it in his fireplace in his office. In order to keep him famous, I guess? I I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a bunch on here. You should definitely read through. Um, uh, Lewis Carroll, who wrote Alice's right. Adventures in Wonderland. Um, at least four... Uh, volumes of his diaries and and some other random pages are missing and hmm. nobody knows exactly why those were destroyed because that's where he bared his soul and he found Maybe. out about all the secret sins of his life uh-huh he didn't want anybody to know he was that bad of a man could be could be uh let's see mary shelley wrote a uh 
she wrote a, I don't even know what this is, Lodor, uh, but a large section of, of her manuscript was lost in the mail, and she had to rewrite Aww. it. Oh, <laughs> bummer. Yep. Uh, let's see, a lot of... Always make a copy. Not not really an option back in her day, but these days, no excuse. Yep. Uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins burned all of his early poetry when he became a priest. Not so that sad. I, I do like his. Hmm. I haven't read a whole lot. Um, and nothing since college, but but he was a good poet. I don't recall being a fan of his stuff. Yeah, it is it is odd. Let's see. Um, Margaret Fuller uh, had uh, she had written a history of the eighteen forty nine Roman Republic. Oh, I I never even heard of this. Uh, so the papal states were temporarily replaced by a republican government in eighteen forty nine. I guess it looks like the Pope uh, f- uh, left the Vatican. And so they started this, uh, another a new Roman Republic. And uh, so Margaret Fuller wrote a history of it. And then it was lost in a shipwreck. Uh, and also, sadly, she and her husband and her child died. <laughs> along with the book. Yeah. Oh, good. Good, good uh, conspiracy theory. I like it. Um, so she and others thought it might have been her most important work. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That republic uh-oh. was never formed. The uh-oh. the the Vatican remained all all <laughs> united. There was never any problems. Um, yeah, lots of um, you know Mendelssohn, Brahms, Litz, List, uh, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson burned. His first draft of Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde after his That's wife okay. criticized the work. Oh, well, so then he I wrote, really like his... Yeah, he wrote it again, of course. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> revisions like that, I don't think that's as big of a deal. Um, I don't know. But if we don't have any any actual copy of something, yes, that is that is a tragedy. A lot of Mark Twain's are lost. Aw, he was an interesting guy. And let's see if there's any. I, there's one more I'm saving for last. I'm trying to see if there's any other, any other interesting ones. Uh, of course, Terry Pratchett's unfinished works were destroyed by his family. That was part of his will. Oh, really? That he not have his hmm. uh, unfinished works published. Hmm. Yep, yep. Um, and yeah, there's there's uh sections for um. Uh, fictional lost works and things even mentions that doctor who episode that that you mentioned earlier uh so the last one that i will mention is uh abraham lincoln's lost speech are you familiar with abraham lincoln's lost speech uh so uh he gave a speech and the legend is that it was such an absorbing speech that the reporters forgot to take notes. And so there's no record of it. Huh. Um, but uh, it's probably that he, it's probable that he condemned slavery and it was purposefully uh, not, from the books. right, not printed to, uh, I guess, avoid controversy. Hmm. So, yeah. So you can go read, go read more about that when there's a whole article for that. 
Maybe they've got a secret copy in the White House or something. I don't think uh National Treasure I don't think has National Treasure me. is a, an accurate uh yeah. Okay. So we're going to end number 10 is a game. I've got the top 10 best-selling fiction authors of all time. And so the listeners, if you want, you can pause the podcast. I know you love playing games. Pause the podcast. Go right it down. It is 10:16 at night. Yep. And you did this to me last night. And this episode will live and forever. I was so awful at it. And fortunately, we did not record and the people did not hear how idiotic I am. But now we're live and they're going to hear how bad I am at these guessing games. Yeah, well, they're also going to hear how bad they are at these guessing games because I yeah, guarantee. Yeah, but it's different. I guarantee. They're not the ones getting in front of a mic. Guarantee that they've not even heard of all of these people. If you have heard of all 10 of these authors, write in and let me know because I don't think anybody has. But they're the most famous? No, no, no. They're the best selling ah, of okay. all time. So okay. here's how we're going to do it. You're going to give me a guess, and for every wrong guess, I'm going to tell you uh the 10th, then the 9th, then the 8th entry on the list, and so it's going to go pretty quickly. Because we're going to fill in the gaps every time you give a guess. Okay? okay. So listeners, if they want, they can they can play and, and try and guess all 10 before they listen. Uh, but for you, we're going to keep it going. I'll tell you that I would have guessed probably three of these before seeing oh, this well, list. Oh, well, there's no hope for me. Yeah. Yeah. So this could be fun. Okay. All right. Fiction writers, most Fiction. famous? No. No. Best selling. Best selling. They've sold the most. Uh, so it sold at least... Uh, like the the number ten on here, uh, sold has sold between 125 and 500 million copies. Okay, I've got three guesses. Okay, Homer. Wait, wait. Uh, Homer is not a best-selling fiction author because I didn't mention there are authors that we don't have numbers for. Um, so. I'll tell you. Oh, I see. Cervantes is not on this okay. list. Dumas, okay. Jane Austen, Conan Doyle, Victor Hugo, Jules Verne, Ernest Hemingway. Um, we don't have numbers for them. They could be on here. I Maybe see. not top 10. But uh, yeah, Homer, it's not going to be. Right, right, right. Um, you're not going to have any of those super old ones. So not Shakespeare then? Shakespeare's number one. Okay. All right. Um. And do you want me to give you one for your, your previous guess? Of, no. Uh, okay. Okay. So you've got number one. So what's, what's well, your Well, I feel guess? like I can walk away now. I got the, I got the most famous. Very good. Uh, Two to four billion. Actually tied with the second person on the list. So I would say you've got two number ones. Dostoevsky? That is a great guess. Dostoevsky. Oh, actually. Where is Dostoevsky? I thought I saw. Okay. I was thinking Tolstoy. Oh, well. Um, he was going to be another guest, too. Yeah, Tolstoy is number 13. Okay. Um, but Dostoevsky did not make I guess his name was too hard to pronounce. <laughs> People did not feel as comfortable buying from him. So I'll give you number 10, uh, Gilbert Patton. Ever no, heard of him? I don't think I have. No, me either. He wrote Adolescent Adventures, a no. bunch of dime novels, apparently. Uh, I've, I've never heard of any of them. Huh. The Mystery Mine. It looks like kind of proto- Hardy Boys kind of stuff. Huh. Uh, John Bunyan. Frank Merriwell stories are an example. Uh, let's see. John Bunyan is not 
at all on this list. So well, I will give you. up, I like Pilgrim's. I'd always heard that Pilgrim's Progress like was the second most printed bi- book uh, besides the Bible. Could be, but uh, either we don't have numbers for it, or he only wrote one book, and so he might not have sold it to some of these people that wrote, say, seven books. Okay. okay? Um, and uh, I'm actually going to skip over number nine because I think there's a possibility you'll guess that one. And I'll say number eight is Sidney Sheldon. Ever heard of Sidney Sheldon? Tell me what he wrote. I'm not sure. Let's see. His 18 novels have sold over 300 million copies. Master of the Game, The Other Side of Midnight, Rage of Angels. Never heard of them. These are no. 70s and 80s novels, so not that long ago. Well, I like that title, The Other Side of Midnight. Yeah. I've heard of, um, like he worked on... Uh, uh, I Dream of Jeannie and the Patty Duke Show. Huh. So I've heard of some of those that he produced, but his novels, that's interesting that huh. So he sold so many so recently. And we've never heard of him. Never heard of him. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. That's uh, so he's number eight. So you've still got uh, a few more on this list. So what's your next guess? Tolkien. Tolkien is on the list, but much lower down. I look, I am not counting. There's no numbers here, but say 30 or 40. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, next up is going to be Enid Blyton. She, I've heard of her. Okay. She wrote uh, children's fiction, um, The Enchanted Wood, Adventures of the Wishing Chair, Child Whispers. I've, I've not heard of any of those. I think I've heard of Child Whispers. Okay. Mallory Towers, The Secret Seven, The Famous Five. Naughty sounds a little familiar, but nope, I've not heard of her. I'll have to look up some of her stuff. Okay. 600 million estimated sales. I bet she's done well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I bet her stuff, I meant to say I bet her stuff is actually decent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Must be. Especially. It's popular. For children's stuff, for you to start, for you to sell that much, yeah. Uh, Dr. Seuss. Great guess. He is number 11. Ah! Yeah, possibly, I mean, has possibly sold as many as Gilbert Patton, uh, upper range is half a billion, but uh, lower range is lower than Gilbert Patton, 100 million okay. is the minimum. C.S. Lewis? Uh, and and uh, I did not reveal another one after you guessed Dr. Seuss, so I will tell you, George, or Georges Simenon, no, a Belgian writer, he created the fictional detective Jules Maigret. Nope. Nope, me either. Never heard of him. Pen name was G. Sim. Isn't that crazy? I guess. G. I don't know if these are as famous in English. So that could be uh, that could be part of it. But to even never have heard of him. And he sold 500 to 700 million copies. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Um, and then you guessed next. C.S. Lewis. He is uh, five below Tolkien. Okay. Uh, did well, so, I, has sold I thought a lot. there was probably a chance that. Yeah, I mean, we're um, still talking hundred to two hundred million. It, I know, but it's, it's such low numbers. A fifth to a quarter of a of a billion for Tolkien. Uh, so we're still talking. Yeah, these are still good guesses. Yeah. Next one I'll reveal is Harold Robbins. Nope. Number five best-selling author of all time. I, I've never heard this guy either. Like, what what is going on in this? Um, let's see. I. Uh, the Dream Merchants, I think I've heard of. It sounds familiar. Uh, Jeffrey Chaucer. 
You wrote the Canterbury Tales, right? The Carpetbaggers. Yeah, I have heard of that. I've heard of the Carpetbaggers. Okay. Made into a film. So, so yeah, I think I've heard of maybe a couple of these, but yeah, I I could not have told you who Harold Robbins was. Uh, sorry, who's your next guest? Jeffrey Chaucer. He wrote the Canterbury. Yeah, Tales. I'm guessing this is going to be another case of we don't yeah. know how many. Okay. Um, just like yeah, people say the Bible is the best selling book of all time. Yeah. Probably, but also. There's no way to know. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, the numbers for that. Uh, so Chaucer's not going to be on here. Uh, but number four, I bet you've heard of her, Danielle Steele. Okay. Uh, she's written fiction, general fiction. She's written romance. Uh, if you go to a used bookstore, you've probably seen uh, some Danielle Steele books. Okay. I, I, I don't see a title that I recognize. Well, this is a, at least a name. Uh, that I recognize. She just she's written, um, 185 books. So, <laughs> I mean, translated into 43 languages. So she's really uh, she's really written a lot, and is uh, also very popular. So, 500 to 800 million copies sold. Okay, um, you've got one, two, three left unrevealed. Two of them, I think you can guess. Uh, the other one I've never heard of, but I'll tell you it's two women here on the list. But you said Jane Eyre is not on the list. Mary Shelley. No. So I will reveal the last one that I've not heard of. Barbara Cartland is number three. Um, romance novels. Uh, she's written a ton, 723 novels. (laughs) So that probably helps, but still you've got to have people buying them, right? Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, she has like a world record for most novels published in a single year. Um, and yes, yeah, supposedly is has sold over seven hundred and fifty million copies. I know someone, Bram Stoker. Crazy. Uh, Surely, no, not come a, on, not even close. Again, you're you're talking about someone that wrote one good book versus this lady wrote seven hundred. Well, so. I'm not good at these. Also, these Bram Stoker's a man. The last two are women. So, any any women authors well, you know about? Well, if it's not, uh, is it one of the Bronte sisters? Nope. And not not Jane Eyre. No, wait, that's a book. Jane Eyre's a book. Yep. Yeah. Uh, not not Mary Shelley. Uh, so uh, you'll, I'm you'll, showing my ignorance. You'll kick yourself <laughs> for both of them. One, uh, especially as you pack away my shelf, you're going to come across Agatha Christie. A whole box oh, okay. load just of this one. Yes. Agatha Christie is tied with Shakespeare 2 to 4 billion. Tied? Yeah, 2 to 4 billion for both Dang. of them. Dang! Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. Yep. You go, girl. Yep. And um, number 10, someone you read a bunch of last year, and uh, I don't think would be a surprise that, that uh, she sold half a billion books. I think she's written about 10 probably you've read seven i believe oh, she's probably written more than 10 but that people would have heard of oh uh diana Wynne jones nope nope it is j jk rowling hey oh. rowling number 10 half a billion wow. copies even with yeah. all your hints and you know and i thought i almost guessed her but i was like yeah. no uh if <laughs> If C.S. Lewis and J.K. Tolkien didn't make it, then yeah. she won't have made it, which I like her books. Yeah. But 
Well, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's most sold. I know. So, yeah. But um, they're not a patch on on Narnia. More than Doctor Seuss. <laughs> well, you go, girl. Good for you. Yeah. There's also more people. There's more readers now than uh, whenever uh, uh, eighty years ago was it that that uh, Lewis was writing. So that's true. That's that's possible, and, and those are just super popular. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so the final list, one through ten. William Shakespeare, Agatha Christie, Barbara Cartland, Danielle Steele, Harold Robbins, Georges Simenon, Enid Blyton, Sidney Sheldon, and J.K. Rowling. So I would love, uh, even if you've heard of one of those authors or read one of those authors that we haven't heard of, love you to write in. Uh, let us know uh, what we're missing. Uh, let us know how well you did in the quiz if you if you tried to guess these authors. Um, certainly make uh, Melissa feel better. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I think I would have guessed. I know I I knew Agatha Christie was on the list because that's like a my favorite uh, favorite Agatha Christie trivia. Uh, I don't know if I would have guessed Shakespeare and, and J.K. Rowling, but I feel like those are the only two I could have possibly guessed. The other ones, no way. So three would have been the maximum. Probably would have got uh two. Anyway, so write in. Let us know how you did with that. Let us know what you thought of this uh, episode format. Let us know if there were any, was any interesting trivia that was your favorite. If you want to see any more uh, random grab bag episodes, maybe a little bit shorter. Maybe I can get it to 30 minutes like I promised next time. Oh, we... Who knows? We used to try... Remember when we used to do try, try and do 30-minute episodes for every episode? Yeah. Uh, we hung our hats on that idea a long time ago. Yeah. Well, maybe we should start podcasting every three weeks instead of every two weeks. <laughs> no, then we just have more to say. And then it's 30-minute episodes per week. Mm. Huh? Huh? No. I mean, 30 minutes of content per week. Nope. Not 30-minute episodes per week. If we go three weeks, three weeks in between, we might as well just give up because it'll, it'll peter out. We'll lose all our listeners, what few we still have hanging in there. Well, if we're doing it to hold on to our listeners... I don't think no, I have bad news for no. you. <laughs> I have bad news. Well. Because I've been mean... looking at the numbers. That's <laughs> about the same as it ever was. But, uh, yep. Uh, thanks for the people that have sent in feedback. I realized we were not seeing all the comments that were on our website. I don't get notifications yeah, about that either, anymore. Yeah, actually. So you should yeah. fix that. I don't think we can with the current comment system. Okay. Well. Uh, so we'll need to go and, and check every so often. Yeah, and I did that just recently because I was looking up uh, yeah. questions for our upcoming Hot Ones episode, which is in August, right? Maybe. It's going to be Who this knows? year. It's coming. So thanks to Clint. Uh, send in those Thanks those to emails. Megan. Thanks to Zach for yeah. all the feedback. Yeah, you guys are we so great. And uh, sorry for ranting about no feedback. I think Josh might have commented too. Probably. Thanks, Josh. Joshua, I mean. Thank you, everyone. All right, well. We love you all. Better, uh, better wrap this sucker up. <laughs> it, is, it is time this to be done. large, bloated sucker. Uh, any last words? Mm. Oh, please don't say that to <laughs> me. <laughs> and then chuckle. So, until next time, I'm Brian Kozer. I'm Melissa Kozer, and you've been listening to 10 to 1. Thank you.
I'm still getting waves of chills over that ending. I know, I know. Uh, uh, you'll have to help me pick later if we decide to do another of these type episodes. I could do one on sports. I could do one on science, maybe. That'd be far more interesting than sports. I could do one on writing. Um, uh, you kind of did a lot possibly. of that. Yeah, this one was books. There's so much more we could get into with writing specifically. Like, uh, I mean, there's a great a, a great article on puns, uh, a great article on on uh, top ten puns, anti humor. Great article on buffalo, 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 buffalo. Oh, there was one the other day that I read. Before was 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 is. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. 